When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empire. How advertisers are reaching fans on sports' biggest stage. So, if you go back to you know, the, the question of matchups, that's the you know how many people are watching and how much uh, value is that viewership uh, or exposure worth. But then the first piece of that uh, equation is how much exposure is a given brand getting. That's Dan Kalpin, president of Hive AI, who is studying how advertisement of all forms perform in real time. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Final Four turned out to be the most recent example of a perfect storm for sports fans and those trying to reach them. This year's version included an ultimate storyline, Duke in Coach K's final season, facing arch-rival North Carolina for the right to play in the national championship. So the hype was built in and the traditional ratings and interest were presumably way up. So did advertisers perform well here and if so, how? That's what Dan Kalpin and Kyle Fultz, Vice President at Elevate Sports Ventures, measured. Our guests this week are Dan Kalpin. He's the president of Hive AI, which is a company that studies content and understanding its meaning. And Kyle Foltz, who's the vice president at Elevate Sports Ventures. And together, they put together a brand exposure study for the recently completed and historic NCAA tournament. Thank you both for being here. Thanks so much uh, for having us, Bram. We're, we're happy to be here. And I think uh, between Kyle and I, very complimentary set of experiences on how AI is being used to practice better measurement from uh, the value of sponsorships and, and how brands and right holders are using that data to get ahead. Cool. Um, let me get into the tech in a moment, um, but I want to do. I want to start this very old schooly with you, and maybe Kyle, you might be better to to kind of address this. That tournament could not have asked for better matchups, specifically in their final four. So as you kind of go through measuring what the brand exposure was, take me back old school to there's a tremendous amount of interest, a tremendous amount of engagement around who was playing each other, specifically Duke and North Carolina, and how that kind of factored into the results that you got. Yeah, Bram, that's a great question. You know, you, you say take me back old school. And that brings me way back old school. I remember when we first got into this space 15, 17 years ago, you were really consisted of interns using stopwatches to gauge how frequently something was on screen, how frequently a sponsor was exposed on screen. And what that missed was the quality of the exposure. What that missed was how engaged were fans, how, how large is the viewing audience. And so you mentioned these incredible matchups. And what that really does is drive value across the board for sponsors. You have more people viewing it. People are more in tune with what's going on. And then the amplification beyond the game. The fact is that much of the sponsor exposure is generated after the, the final whistle blows. So with highlights and uh, social media, 
you're seeing a significant amount of value that is delivered to these brands after the game because of the fact that you have these incredible matchups. So matchups still matter, Kyle. Is that right? Like having marquee matchups still matter even in this day and age of engagement? Yeah. You know, what we see from some of our brand clients is that not just matchups, but picking the right horse matters. So we have clients that we work with that look at things like odds of how uh, a team might perform throughout the season. And they actually help drive the decision-making process of this team is going to be good. Are they more likely to advance further into the playoffs, more likely to advance further into a tournament that's going to drive more value back to that particular brand through the measurement that, uh, that Dan and his team at Hive are providing from a media valuation perspective. Okay, Dan, so let's get into that a little bit and the technology here. This is new school now. How do you go about measuring um, what happens with traditional advertising and in-content exposure to come to the conclusions you've come to? Yeah, well, I'll pick up where Kyle left off. The, the legacy approach to sponsorship measurement, this is not a new practice. It's something that's been you know, in play for decades. And to Kyle's point, you know, historically was done you know, pen, paper, stopwatch, and, and maybe some tears um, you know, going, going through figuring out the numbers. I think now the opportunity is you can measure that faster, you can measure that more granularly, you can measure that more comprehensively, um, and ultimately more consistently. Um, and so if you go back to you know, the, the question of matchups, that's the, you know, how many people are watching and how much uh, value is that viewership uh, or exposure worth? But then the first piece of that uh, equation is how much exposure is a given brand getting? Um, and so what we do at Hive, um, we're a San Francisco-based AI company, uh, focusing our customers understand what's happening in content. Um, and so if you think of the exposure of a Nike swoosh on a jersey, um, you know, the, the, a broadcaster re- referencing the name of a stadium naming rights partner, uh, what our technology is doing is we're ingesting, uh, just taking TV as an example, every second from every program on just about every network of television, uh, and then running our AI models through that content to understand that exposure um, and translate that into uh, ultimately a value that those brands are achieving from those placements. Can you could you go a little deeper and tell us how it works and explain how the AI works here? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the foundation of our business actually starts with uh, training AI models to think like a human brain. Uh, and so if you think of how a child would learn animals or you know, maybe specifically how a child would recognize a Nike logo versus the Coca-Cola logo, they see a lot of examples. Um, and so that's the same way that we train our models. Um, and we have about 300 million pieces of hand-labeled data that go into training this model to recognize brands um, as well as to recognize asset types. Uh, and so then that's one piece of the equation, which is the technology. The second part is the ingestion. Um, and so our models essentially watch the same way, watch television the same way that the three of us do, um, except you know, beyond looking for the gameplay, they're specifically focused on brand exposure. Um, and so what that uh, results in is we're looking at about 3,500 hours of television every day. Um, and from that, coming up with about 15 million rows of data on brand exposure. And so take me through how it understands pivotal key moments that could be amplified, could go viral, would be different than just the run of the mill. You see a close up of a guy running back on defense and there's a logo on his jersey and it's caught on screen. How does it start to understand moments that will kind of linger on beyond the run of a mill play in a sporting event? 
Yep, great question, Bram. So the first piece of this is being able to understand the exposure itself. Um, and so if you think of the brand that uh, essentially is something present, how long is it present, and what is the quality of that exposure? Um, and so for a brand, the bigger that their logo is, the more central it is on the screen, um, you know, the, the more clear that it is, and the number of brands that are competing for attention um, essentially go into how memorable that placement is. Um, and then the second part of it is, you know, essentially what's the shelf life of that, that audience. Um, and so there's the live audience. We're back to the question on matchups. The more people that are watching and the more advertisers are paying to be alongside that content, the more valuable those in-content placements are. Um, and then if you think of the other piece, which Kyle hit on earlier around amplification, um, you know, we find a tremendous amount of value that exists in highlights and shoulder programming yeah. and social media content. Um, and so being a part of those moments and those games creates a, a massive increase in the amount of value that brands are realizing. All right, Kyle. So take me through some of the results that you found from the recent NCAA tournament. What did, what did you learn about brand exposure? And we're really excited by the response that we've seen to the study. Um, as you mentioned, we analyzed all 134 games that made up the men's and women's NCAA tournament. Uh, some of the findings that were really compelling, 187 cumulative hours of exposure responses, over $410 million in equivalent media value. To put that into comparison, uh, $410 million equates to roughly 70 30-second commercials in the Super Bowl. So we're talking tremendous value back to the sponsors. But I think what the study really highlights is this the kind of sea change where it's really important for brands and properties to understand how their assets are performing. Uh, we have this unique opportunity in time where we've got this technology that allows us to dictate you know, what, what does it matter to be on a uniform versus on uniform uh, versus on, on court or versus courtside rotational sign in the NCAA tournament. And it elevates sports ventures. That's exactly what we do. We help our partners understand the value of this exposure at a deeper level. How does it meet their objective? How are we making sure that you're able to communicate the value proposition of your brand through these platforms? So it's taking the data as a foundation and enhancing it to help our partners understand how to use it and how to optimize their partnerships. Can you talk about some of these things specifically? Because logos on uniforms is still, it's not novel, but it, it's still relatively new in American sports. How is it performing now that teams have logos on their jerseys? Yeah, so it's, we're seeing a huge swing um, in the next two years, uh, even sooner, we're going to see Major League Baseball and NHL both come online on, uni on, on uniform logos. Um, the NBA has, actually, has obviously been in, had it for quite a while and Major League Soccer as well. And it's been interesting to watch the transition from um, kind of emerging new categories that we're sponsoring on uniform technology companies. Now we're starting to see the more traditional categories like financial services, like insurance. And what that suggests is that the market's getting more mature. And in large part, that's because these, while they are very heavily uh, brand exposure plays, you know, in, in the NHL, we see eight plus minutes per game uh, that we predict for the on uniform for in the NBA, seven to nine. So while we are delivering tremendous exposure, it's how those brands are complementing that exposure with other extensions and other benefits in the partnership. So we're really kind of combining two factors here this brand play along with tying back and associating with that property to, to increase your brand profile. like what what do you mean by that like just getting the exposure to what to incentivize fans to act upon the exposure itself 
Well, so in terms of what other benefits are these properties providing to, to these sponsors? So a really good example, we see a technology sponsor uh, client of ours is on uniform in the NBA. And their partnership is really enhanced by a STEM program. So they work with local schools to develop a STEM program that focuses on, you know, uh, you know, obviously, STEM, STEM concepts. But what you're doing there is you're tying in the community benefits with this brand play, and it's just creating a better, you know, a better brand health for that particular sponsor in that marketplace. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Guys, if you're looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have a little bit of fun, let me tell you about BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service. It delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable form and it's at a fraction of the cost. BlueChew's tablets will help you combat all forms of ED. Plus, it's an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, and the best part, all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical providers are going to work with you to find the right ingredient and the strengths for your personal subscription. Plus, their tablets are made in the United States. They prepare, they ship direct, and it's so much cheaper than going through a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code FUTURE, F-U-T-R, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code FUTURE, F-U-T-R, to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for being a sponsor of this show. One more old school one, because you mentioned it, which is the rotating screen that has been at center court forever, you know, in basketball games. Is the value still there in that old school method of advertising? Yeah, so it's really, it's really interesting. What, we're, what we see on average is those rotational signs or more dynamic signs like LED command a higher premium in the marketplace than a passive static sign. So a static, um, you know, I don't know, sign up in the con up in the rafters versus that LED sign, even if they get the same amount of exposure, brands pay a premium for that particular rotating sign because you're able to communicate some level of messaging. And frankly, it comes back to, um, you know, the, the data that Dan and the team are providing, the quality of that exposure is so much greater than kind of that static sign that may be smaller or not in the center of the camera and all of those types of things. And the piece that I would build on that is what I think is really interesting from a measurement perspective is, especially with rotating signs, um, the way that those are sold are typically allocated. 
are based on exposure within a stadium. But the way that value is achieved by brands is really the subset of that exposure that gets amplified on television or social media. Um, and so you can end up in a world where the same asset um, you know, at a different point in the game will create a different level of exposure for a brand. Um, and I think what increasingly is you get to this world with effectively real-time measurement is you can actually be more equitable in those placements. So it's not necessarily that 10 minutes of time in a stadium for one brand will create the same same amount of time of televised exposure for a different brand on that same asset. Um, and so that ability to measure in real time could actually optimize the media value, um, which I think frankly makes both sides of the table happier. Dan, I, are you saying location matters now? Are, are we are we at a point now where you are advising people where signage should take place and how often it should rotate? Yeah, I think location has, has always mattered. Um, I think, and Kyle can build on this, but the ability to measure location better and the differences in brand exposure between locations is creating more data-driven conversations. If it's not just, I want to be a part of the Commodores, um, but actually I want you know this asset uh, you know, in FedEx field. Um, and so I think for uh, our perspective, the ability to measure you know, with high, high granularity from a location perspective Let's, um, you know, folks like Elevate, you know, have deeper conversations and ultimately lead to different actions with their clients. But Kyle, you might want to build on that. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right, Dan. And, and when we expand on that a little bit, I'll, I'll give a, a really good example that happened relatively recently. We had a, a client that's very brand exposure focused. That's really the crux of how they make their decision making process. And what we did was very counterintuitive. They had a sign in a major league baseball stadium that was on the first base side, almost equal with the first base line. And what, what we ended up recommending based on this data-driven source was how to push that sign further away from home plate when you know every instinct says to move it closer to home plate, it would get more exposure. By pushing it further away, we increased that exposure by nearly 75% per game. And um, you know, to Dan's point, it does make both sides happy because the property was able to get a renewal and the brand uh, was happy to pay that renewal because they were able to justify it through that increased exposure. Dan, I'm, I can't let it go. We're not the Commodores. We're not a band from Motown. We're the Commanders. But I do appreciate... Oh, <laughs> I do appreciate... <laughs> there, there, there's a little bit of pie on my face, Bram. It's all right. We're not in Nashville. We're not the Vanderbilt Commodores. But I pre- <laughs> appreciate the, the shout out to us. Um, yeah, this is the learning curve of a name change. <laughs> I'm still getting used to Washington football team. <laughs> so am I. Uh, trust me, I am too. Um, all right, <laughs> let's get back into um, uh, some of the things you learned about it, which is uniform branding um, by teams. Dan, what did you learn about uniform brands these days? I think what's what's interesting with uh, uniform brands is most of the assets, especially within March Madness, were very heavily curated. Um, you know, for, for the most part, if you look at um, you know, the, the brands that received the lion's share of exposure, they were the NCAA's official partners, um, and they were equipment providers, you know, like Spalding or you know, Wilson, which provided the ball. Um, what's interesting with uniform sponsors is those are team-level sponsorships. And so similar to what Kyle mentioned earlier of how folks were placing their bets on you know, which teams will make the playoffs in baseball or basketball. Um, you know, that's very similar in, in uniform sponsorships at the college level, um, where, you know, we saw of, um, the, the, the teams come in with a mix of, you know, Nike with the most sponsorships, um, uh, followed by Adidas, Under Armour and Air Jordan. But at each round, as those teams performed, you actually saw a different mix. Um, and so there's actually a little bit of a game within a game from, you know, brands getting differential exposure, um, as the teams that they supported advanced through the tournament. 
Let's just talk about advertising in general in the modern era for a moment here, Kyle. Um, you know, we do a lot of discussions on this podcast about very different audiences, a younger generation that might consume content a lot differently than someone like myself who's middle-aged. And I'm watching the game traditionally, like the way that we're discussing here, and I'm seeing all these things happen. I would think a younger generation is kind of looking at this differently. As you kind of sift through all of this information that you have, when you go back to brands and talk about how it performed and how it could perform better down the road, what are you talking about? And are you talking about two different models for two different generations? You know, I think that's, I think you're exactly right there. The way that you and I um, consume sports is very different than the way that the generation that's younger than us uh, does. And there's no question about it. And what we're able to, to do is use this data to help us across a couple of different platforms, a couple of different ways. Um, still the majority of value from a media valuation is driven by broadcast. In fact, what we see is in excess of 60 to 70% of the value is driven by broadcast today. Um, I think we're starting to see the shift. And when we think about over the top networks, when we think about, um, you know, the variety of different ways that sports is going to be consumed, what excites me is that the opportunity to start to target audiences in a different way. Um, the way that we're going to be, you know, that Google AdWords is targeting people based on their behavior. I think we're going to get close to that in the very near future with sports. So when people consume sports on social media, can we deliver a different type of advertising using, um, using digital insertion, using technology to overlay advertising? When people are consuming over the top based on the market that they're in, can we deliver different advertising? And by the way, that exists today. Um, if you're watching a Premier League game in, in a different market, you may see another advertiser um, than you do in the UK, as an example. Um, so as we start to get more sophisticated, we're going to be able to deliver those targeted ads that are really going to change the paradigm for marketers. So not only is it going to be different advertisers, it could also be suggestions and different types of creative. If you're speaking to a different audience, the same brand might want to use different language depending on who they're reaching. So we're really excited about that. And it's critical that we have a really strong data that explains exactly who's watching these different formats and how much of the time on screen those those formats are delivering. Um, this is really add to that. Go I ahead. Think, so I was going to say, I, I would add to that where I think the other question that is starting to come up is beyond the foundational layer of how much exposure did I get and how much was that worth is the question of what impact did that have for my business. Um, so one of the, I think, really interesting points of data that we were able to put into the analysis that we published yesterday uh, included some data from a company called EDO, um, which has the ability to connect uh, Hive's data on in-content brand exposure or traditional commercials on television with online search activity for a brand or product um, in, the minute, in the minutes immediately following that exposure. Um, and so what they found is that during the first and second round of the tournament, um, the men's tournament, the official NCAA sponsors, so the brands that had both the higher ad load as well as placement within the games themselves, uh, had a 43% higher uh, uh, search engagement rate than the average advertiser on primetime television. Um, and as you moved to higher levels of sponsorship, so including the um, what was called the NCAA's champions, which is AT&T, Capital One, and Coca-Cola, those brands actually saw 69% uh, higher search engagement rate. And so I think this starts to connect, you know, not just that there's uh, a, a valuable audience, but actually that audience is being, you know, moved to take an action and learn about a company from its exposure. 
Um, and so I think that ability to connect occurrence to outcome is, is increasingly another area of interest for brands. Kyle, I got to tell you too, it was reassuring for you to tell me that we're still going to be broadcasting sports as a sports broadcaster, uh, because you'll hear people at a younger generation describe this dystopian world where sports is all TikTok highlights. And I don't think I'm ready for that yet. Graham, I'm somewhere with you there, and uh, it concerns me for from a sports media valuation perspective for sure. But uh, yeah, I think I think we are headed that direction where sports is consumed in these clips and these in these individual moments. And again, I go back to the the technology allowing us to target different audiences and how important that will be to brands down the line. All right, last thing, um, you guys both did a study on the Super Bowl as well. And I want to ask just general takeaways that you had from that as opposed to the NCAA tournament. And then secondarily, um, this took place in one of the most modern stadiums that we've had uh, built here. There are other teams that are building as well. And I wonder, since we talked about location, modern amenities and technology, how SoFi and maybe the things that it offered to broadcast partners and marketers might have been different than some of the traditional venues we've had, if there's been anything that was tangible that you saw there. Um, if you want to start, Kyle. Yeah, we spend a lot of time helping properties that are building new venues or that are renovating placement of signage in order to generate the most amount of exposure as possible. And I think what SoFi has done is exceptional in the way that they've designed the building with their, their video board and but from a, from a fan experience standpoint. But one of the challenges with that is that sometimes it can obstruct views from visit for broadcast visibility for sponsor exposure. Um, what we found, in fact, is that by not having a center home, you can actually deliver more value to your naming rights partner when you place them in optimal positions than you can in that center home video in some cases. It's not, uh, it's not across the board, but in some cases that does matter. So, so when we talk about these modern uh, in improvements and integrations into SoFi Stadium, they certainly have an, an incredible fan experience, but how does it affect from a brand perspective and, and getting your message out of the brand? That's, that's still the question that, uh, you know, that some of the data revealed when we saw that some lower numbers for SoFi than maybe some uh, naming rights partners have in previous Super Bowls. Dan, what'd you learn from the Super Bowl? Yeah, so I think the through line between both March Madness and the, the Super Bowl is obviously these are you know, among, if not the two most uh, valuable tentpole events on television for sports. And the uh, additional element of this that is important for the brands that are affiliated with that event, whether it's the stadium naming rights holders or, or other sponsors, um, is that that exposure is more than just whistle-to-whistle value. Um, so actually going back to SoFi and the Super Bowl, um, yeah, to Kyle's point, one of the things that you know, was maybe a little bit surprising was um, during the game, SoFi got about a minute and 15 seconds of exposure uh, during NBC's broadcast of the Super Bowl. But when you actually then step back and look at the week before and the week after, um, SoFi was exposed in almost 550 different programs on television. Um, so there were uh, you know, commentators uh, reporting from outside or inside of the stadium before the event and after the event. There were you know days and days of highlights um, looking at the game, and so what that ultimately led to was uh, for that one minute of in-game exposure for SoFi, they actually got 509 minutes of aggregate exposure, um, which led to essentially a quintupling of the number of impressions that they received uh, from the the TV viewing audience. Um, and about 50% more media value in aggregate from looking at the totality of Super Bowl-related exposure than just what they got within the game. Um, and so I think, you know, for these two events together, 
it really highlights the value of that comprehensive measurement. Um, and a lot of what we're excited about to be able to bring to you know, our clients and to partners like Elevate, um, where if you can actually look at data more holistically, you can make more informed decisions based on better data. Dan Kalpin is the president at Hive AI, and Kyle Foltz is the vice president at Elevate Sports Ventures. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Bram. Thanks for having us. On the next Future Sport Podcast, you are what you eat. From there, a daily meal plan is developed and tells you what time you should be eating, but then also most importantly, what you specifically should be having based on where you are. So it's using a lot of geolocation technology too in that sense. If you're in the facility and in here in the training facility, what's available there and how much of it should you specifically have for your pre-workout meal? That's Kush Mahan, CEO and founder of Zonin, who devised a platform for dietitians to help athletes fuel their bodies on and off team property. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.